is if God is this great, if he is that great, we can sing to him in any mode of singing, whether it be classical or modern. Uh, Our hearts should move towards singing to our Father. And that is our point today as we get to the scriptures that God is that good, that our hearts move. It's a movement towards beauty. And beauty has many forms of expression uh, in our lives and especially in our worship. I want to turn to uh, Luke 15, take a break from Isaiah today. And uh, we're going to look at one of the most beautiful parables that our Lord Jesus told uh, during his ministry here on earth. And I think it crystallizes a lot for the Christian faith and will help us move forward, I hope. And it's helped me uh, many times in years past. It's called the, we've often called it the parable of the prodigal son. It's the better, the better term for it is the parable of the two sons. Uh, and so we want to look at this parable today. And I, before we start, I owe much, uh, much uh, to pastors and theologians who wrote and preached on this over the years. Uh, I'm a, a vessel of clay and I'm, I'm handing the baton, the things I've been given, I'm handing it to you guys and hope to encourage you uh, with this this morning. A little book, if you want to go deeper and explore this parable on your own, is called The Prodigal God by Tim Keller. Uh, It is a very good little book to help uh, push toward ideas of the Christian faith. And who is God that we worship? Who is this great God that we call Father? A couple of questions before we dive into our text. Um, What is your view of God? How would you describe him? What is your disposition toward God right now, in this moment, in your heart? How does that, all those questions, how does that inform your worship personally, in your family, and here corporately? How does your view of God inform your worship? All right, we want to look at that today. Let's read Luke 15, starting with verse 11. And he said, Jesus is telling this parable, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quickly bring the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and he came drew, as he came and drew near, 
to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is God's word. Let's pray. O God, our Father, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we call to you for mercy right now that we would further understand your word and not stop there so that we would further understand your heart, that we would know you, that we would truly bask in what it means to be reconciled to you through Christ and to be actually called sons and daughters of God. Oh, Lord, draw us near. Holy Spirit, enliven our eyes to see and our hearts to be one to your truth and your love. And Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, my rock and my redeemer. And we pray this all in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people say, Amen. During my first couple of years at Covenant Seminary in St. Louis, Whitney and I decided that uh, we were just going to have one car so we can cut down on expenses. We were on a shoestring budget, and so we decided we're going to have one car, not going to have to pay insurance on the other car or buy gas. And so as a result, uh, Whitney was teaching uh, to carry us through seminary, uh, and so I needed rides uh, to get back and forth from campus and back to our house. I inevitably began riding with my friend John, who lives right next or lived right next door to us. Uh, we would ride together to seminary or to, to the campus and, and often ride back. And one of the things that, that I loved, uh, we would ride back home at, at the end of the day and drive into his driveway. And this is a crystallized moment in my life. He had young kids. Uh, Whitney and I didn't have kids at the time, uh, but John had a three-year-old uh, daughter and a one-year-old son. And they had a storm door that was a glass storm door. And when we drove into the driveway, the kids were there waiting. And they were smiling. And they were excited. And they were joyful and happy, jumping up and down, even beating on the glass. Daddy, Daddy, Daddy's home. Daddy's home. And I loved it. I remember telling John, wow, I hope to experience that one day. Fast forward eight years. Eight years later, this past Thursday, I have a long day at work. It's a good day, but a long day, getting things ready for this, uh, this Sunday. It's a short week, a holiday week, and uh, I get home in the afternoon, and I'm ready to just lay down on the couch. I think we've all had that experience. And I pull up in the driveway, and Ansley, my oldest daughter, runs out, and the same thing happens. Daddy, you're home. Daddy's home. Daddy's home. And then I walk in into the house, and there's Scarlett. Her, her eyes light up, and Stella Daddy's home, yay, and they're running, and, and I grab them. If you've ever had that moment, you know what I'm talking about, and mama's too. When you come home, mama's home, mama's home. That beauty, that sheer delight of 
daddy coming home. Friends, I want to ramp this up a million times, and I think this story does. I mean, we arrive at our, our main idea today. Our main idea is this. God, your, our Heavenly Father, delights in you as His child. And all of His energy, all of His redemptive work, and all of His power is aimed at you delighting in Him alone. All of His energy, His redemptive power, is aimed at the ultimate end of what does our confession say? Glorifying God and enjoying Him forever. Enjoying God forever. So what's going on in this story? Well, we should look at the context and the original audience of this particular parable first, and we'll gain clues into what Jesus is doing with this powerful story. If you look back to verses 1 and 2, we didn't read them, but verses 1 and 2 of chapter 15 gives us a setting. It says that tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. And so here's Jesus pulling in tax collectors, sinners, scribes, Pharisees. They're all there. They're coming in, and they're drawing near to Jesus. As you see in verse 2, the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. And what do they grumble about? This man receives sinners and eats with them. They were upset because these sinner people, these unclean people were, were, were coming in to Jesus. Not only were they coming, he was welcoming them. He wanted them there. So that's our setting. Those were the religious and important people of the day grumbling about this. So Jesus was telling this story to both rebels and the righteous, or seemingly righteous. Rebels and righteous were present, and they needed to hear this story. And Jesus, I believe, told this story with both camps in mind. What we see as we get in the story is this younger brother, this younger son, is asking for his inheritance before it was time, because the father was still alive. This would have been completely shocking and shameful in the ancient Near East in that day. No one went to their father and asked for an inheritance before he died. Because in effect, that's saying, I want your stuff, but I don't want you. I want what you can give me. I want your benefits, but I don't want you. Because I think I know what to do best, so I'm going to take it and run. Take the money and run. This is what implicitly the younger son was saying. I wish you were dead. Give me what is due me, and I will pursue the good life on my own terms. I will pursue the good life on my own terms. And the younger son saw the good life outside the domain and love of the father. Yet the father's response was just as startling. He didn't say no. He didn't balk at it. He didn't lecture the younger son. He just gave him what he asked for. That was equally shocking in that day. The audience would have gasped. <gasps> no word from the father. He just gave him his inheritance and let him run with it. After squandering all of his inheritance and what verse 13 says, reckless living, the younger son finds himself in a dirty pig pen eating pig food, which again was another shocking, unheard of thing for a Jew to be with pigs who were detestable and unclean, eating pig food. He was at the lowest of the low. He chased after life only to find nothing. You can think of Jesus' words. What is it? Profit of man if he gains the whole world 
Go see the world. Go gain the world. But you lose your own soul. And we see this younger brother in that spot. Away from the heart of the father. Walking in disobedience. So this younger son, it says he comes to his senses and he says, well, I'll just go back to my father. I'll repent and I'll be one of his servants because they have a much better life than I have now. Look with me at verses 18 and 19. We'll read that again. I will rise and go to my father, says the younger son. I will say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. And here, get this. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son Treat me as one of your hired servants. Okay, you need to remember that. We'll go back to that in just a minute. So the son comes back. uh, And the father is another shocking thing. The father is actually, he's looking out for the son. Look at verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, still on the road, which means the father was looking and waiting, what happened? The father ran to him. Father ran. He didn't wait. He didn't say, all right, come pay your dues. Come on back. Tell me what you did wrong. He ran. He embraced him, which running in, in that time, you didn't pull up. He had to pull up his robe to run. You didn't pull up your robe or show your legs at that time as a, a patriarch of a family. Yet he ran with abandonment, complete abandonment, toward his son. Notice in verse 20, the father felt compassion, or some translations, I think, translate it better, was moved with compassion. This Greek word is you feel it in your gut. Uh, We see it all through the New Testament. It's It's a gut feeling, a movement towards someone. He's moved with compassion. Princeton theologian B.B. Warfield, in one of my favorite articles, The Emotional Life of Our Lord, he says this, The divine mercy has been defined as that essential perfection in God, whereby he pities and relieves the miseries of his creatures. It includes, that is kind to say, two parts of an internal movement of pity and an external of kindness. So an internal pity and an external of kindness extended toward. This is what's happening, Jesus says, with this father. He is moving. This verse actually gives a beautiful picture of God as father. And here's our first point today. Point number one, God is ever looking for you to return, ready to run to you, ready to embrace you. No matter where you are in life, no matter how dark your valley of sin, God is ready to run to you. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon once said, God is more ready to forgive me than I am ready to offend. And this is a truth you need to hear. God is never shocked by your sin. He knew your sin from before the foundation of the earth. And he is never shocked by your sin. He actually moves toward you to pull you out of that and to free you. Run to him. So the father in this parable embraces his son. The son then says, I'm not worthy to be called your son. And the son doesn't even get to finish his premeditated speech. You notice that? The son doesn't even finish. And the father interrupts. What's he interrupt with? Hey, you, go get the fattened calf. Get my ring and my robe and put it on him. He embraced him. He said, we're going to have a party. We're going to celebrate. So here's the younger son thinking, i got to go back and, and grovel and become the servant. And the father says, no, you're still my son. And I'm going to celebrate because you're back. Woohoo! Let's have a party. Wow. 
He was lost and now he's found. I'll encourage you again. There is no sin that will hold back God from receiving you. And that's because of the work of Christ. Christ has worked his, his finished, completed work of the cross, enables the Father to move in reconciliation and pull you in. Move toward him. Don't let shame or false guilt move you away from the Father. Move toward him. Turn from your self-reliance and seek the heart of the Father. But there's a turning point in this parable, and I want us to see this. This parable is told in large part for the Pharisees and the scribes, those who thought they were tight with God through their own performance. Notice the disposition in the language of the older son in verses 25 through 32. So he came working from the field. He heard the music and the dancing and the sound. And what happened? He didn't even go in. He fetched the servant. It's like, hey, what's going on over here? What's, what's happening over here? This is, sounds delightful and loud. Verse 28 says the son was angry and refused to go in. Wow, where did all this anger come from? Why was he angry? What's the deal here? He was, he was angry and didn't go into the party. This older son's response is very telling in verses 28, 29 through 30. Before we read that, I want, again, I want you to see the heart of the father. What does he do? Not only does he pursue the younger son, he pursues the older. He goes out and, the scriptures say, and treats him. We have a great God who takes the first step. We have a God who is father who pursues his children. What a great thing. I'm so thankful. Now let's look at the disposition of the older son, 29 and 30. He answered this father, look, these many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed. Hmm. That's a big word, never. Your command. But you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But this son of yours, when he came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. paraphrase what this older brother is saying. These many years I've served you and you never gave me a party, Dad. What about me? I've been here the whole time. I've been serving you. I've been working for you. You get, never gave me a party. Basically, we can translate this into I deserve more than this son of yours. Notice he didn't even call him his own brother. This son of yours. He came back. But I deserve more. Where's my party? What we need to see in this story is that both sons were far from the heart of the father. Both sons were equally far. Especially here in the south, we, we often hear about this younger son, and, and that's our mission. Go and, go and uh, share the gospel. Okay, that's true. But we need desperately to hear about the older son here. We need to hear this. Both sons operated out of sense of deserving the party. The younger son knew that he had messed up, so he was ready to go perform in order to earn. Whereas the older son said, well, I've already performed, and I should have earned the party. Do you get that? There's a disease in both hearts. 
This disease is that which sees the Father in the wrong light. It is seeing the Father as sheerly and merely a lawmaker, and there's rules to follow, and you earn your place or you earn your party. That is false entirely. Pastor Tim Keller says this, the elder brothers of this world desperately need to see themselves in this mirror. That's why elder brother lostness is so dangerous. Elder brothers don't go to God and beg for healing from their condition. They see nothing wrong with their condition, and that can be fatal. Fatal. If you know that you are sick, you may go to a doctor. If you don't know that you're sick, you won't. You just die. We need to know all across the spectrum, wherever you are, we are in dire need of the mercy of God. We all have sin-sick hearts, and we all cry out, Lord, have mercy. Help me to see you as you are and run to you with great delight as our Father. Flannery O'Connor so keenly put it in this way when describing one character in her novel, Wise Blood. She said this, There was a deep, black, wordless conviction in him that the way to avoid Jesus was the way to avoid sin. I'll say that again. There was a wordless conviction in him that the way to avoid Jesus was to avoid sin. In other words, if I can just do right and keep it under control and be good, then Jesus is kind of at a distance. You have this just occasional brush with Jesus. And Jesus all of a sudden becomes an accessory to your life instead of your life. Jesus is the Lord of glory. He's not an accessory. He's not a gnome to put in your pocket. You follow Him. You give Him your heart. You seek Him. And in seeking Him, you know the Father. Which is our second point. Legalism is dangerous in that it obscures the heart of the Father and turns your relationship with Him into one of transaction rather than delight. Legalism, and I would say antinomianism, both sons looked at the Father in a transactional way instead of a relational way. And this is where we miss the gospel. When we approach God in a transactional way, all right, I, I do my part, God, you give me your part, and I've got the benefits, and I walk away with it in my bag because I paid for it. No. No, neither. <coughs> Excuse me. I want to give a few application takeaways before we pray. How do we analyze our hearts? One, analyze your prayer life. First, do you pray? Second, what does your prayer look like? Are you seeking the heart of your Heavenly Father for Him and not just merely for His stuff? So prayer life. Second is repentance. What does your repentance look like? One theologian says this, legalistic remorse says, I broke God's rules, while repentance says, I broke God's heart. In other words, God gives His law for our flourishing, but the law always reveals the lawmaker, the heart of the lawmaker. And so the Scriptures, we should know them. Why? So that we should know God. That's the ultimate end, to know and be reconciled, delight in God Himself. So prayer life, repentance, church attendance. Why are you here? What are your motives for church attendance? Why are you here today? Is it because you're just checking the box? Be careful with that so, so that you don't fall in the trap of the elder brother. Yeah, God, all right, I'm checking the box here. 
all right, let me live on my life in hopes that I get the inheritance. Watch our hearts. We must watch our hearts. Fourth and finally, trials and sufferings. What is your response to hardship? Are you ready to run away like the younger brother? Or are you bitter like the older brother? You know, hardship and trial will reveal a lot of where we are with, the, with God. If we really think we've earned a good, happy life, then we'll, be, we'll have a disposition of the older brother, angry with arms folded outside, not in the party of delights with the father. Now, life is hard, and I encourage you. We are all, there's a lot of people going through hardship and trial. This is not to beat you over the head, but this is to, to move you forward to cry out to the Lord Jesus Christ for help. The tricky part in all this is if you notice your heart that you're following God out of mere duty, then you're prone to swing the pendulum, focusing merely on externals. And that's the trick, isn't it? We often want to, okay, well, I, I, I'm, I'm not doing this right, so let me change something external. Whereas God is saying throughout all of scriptures, your heart fundamentally needs change, and then your behaviors will follow. We need a fundamental heart disposition and then we will follow. Here's the point. God is after your heart. Therefore, your heart disposition toward God must change. And then actions will come in behind those. I encourage you, ask the Holy Spirit for help, for change, for a new heart, even daily. To know Him. To sing to Him, as we're commanded to in all the Scriptures, personally, in our families, corporately. To sing with a full orb heart of joy. And hopefully we'll arrive at what the friend of John Newton, William Cowper, would write. To see the law of Christ fulfilled, to hear his pardoning voice, changes a slave into a child and duty into choice. Lastly, what's beautiful about this story and the gospel is that we have an older brother who, doesn't, who did not stand outside. We have an older brother who entered in to our plight, who actually ran with the Father on behalf of the Father and pulled us into the family of God. The Scriptures say we are co-heirs with Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ loves you. And if you're not a believer this morning, I encourage you. He is reaching out to you saying, come to me. Know me. Know the Father. Last year, the solar eclipse of August 21st, it was dubbed the Great American Eclipse by the media. It was a total solar eclipse, and it spanned the entire nation, if you remember, from coast to coast. Peggy Noonan of the Wall Street Journal wrote an article called, For a Day, Our Political Troubles Were Eclipsed. I want to read this quote as we end. More than two dozen people filled the sidewalk and street. Four had special glasses that were being passed back and forth. A woman named Beatrice who works at a local real estate office saw me taking notes and smiled. You want to see? I did. She gave me the glasses and I saw the sun half covered. I told her she would be in the Wall Street Journal on Saturday. Hi, Beatrice. So that's what I saw from up, up to uptown to midtown, sharing and wonder and friendliness along with a continual refrain. Here, take my glasses. Do you see? There was something about it that left me by the end, quite moved, witnessing spontaneous human graciousness and joy is stirring. And we were seeing something majestic, an assertion of nature and God's nature together. It was tenderly communal. 
this parable is intended to do that for us today. And I hope we walk away going, do you see? Do you see the heart of the Father? Look, look, look through these lenses of the Scripture and see that God's heart is love and grace toward you. See Him, know Him, experience in Him, delight in Him. That is what God is after. Let's pray. Father, help us. There are many more truths in this passage. Help us to bask in the truth of your grace, your mercy, your kindness, your compassion toward us. No matter where we come from, no matter what background, no matter if we fall in the camp of rebel or of self-righteousness, let us see that you have called us to an altogether beautiful another way called the gospel. Thank you that you pursue us through your kindness. Let that permeate our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand one last time together, please. You'll find the words to the song in the middle of your bulletin. Our closing song today is called Hail to the Lord's Anointed. Hail to the Lord's anointed grace.